John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put some of the words on the screen, but um, there are Bibles at the end of most of the rows as well. So if you could uh, follow along, that would be super. So we're kind of in a, in a transition phase. We're moving to a new series that we're going to be launching next week, and we've moved from a series on worship. And so today I'm going to be talking about um, the Good Shepherd. Okay, Jesus the Good Shepherd. But what I want to do is to put it in context, this particular story. Uh, and very often we know Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Yeah, okay, we can take the box on that one. But why was he talking about that? Um, and so if you do have a Bible, uh, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you look at John chapter 9 um, in the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus... At the start of John chapter 9, we read that as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened to, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Um, and so basically what Jesus does is, um, gets a little bit gross here. In verse 6, having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes, and, go, and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. And so this causes uproar in uh, the city, because this man who's blind from birth is known by everybody, known as a beggar, is healed. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they get to hear about this, and they go crazy about it, um, not in, in excitement, but in fury and annoyance because he was healed on the Sabbath, right? And so anybody that heals on the Sabbath couldn't possibly come from God. And then they get into this argument with themselves. Well, actually, surely anybody that's from, you have to be from God in the first place in order to heal somebody. And they get really annoyed. And so they ask this guy what happened. And he says somebody healed him. He didn't see them at the time because he was blind, um, but he can now see, and then they go, oh, yeah, but maybe you're faking, and they go and get his parents, and they go to ask his parents, like, yeah, he's blind from birth, but ask him, you know, yourself, he's just blind, there's nothing else wrong with him, do you not believe him, and starts this whole big argument and discussion, uh, and the Pharisees seem to be more interested in the fact that Jesus came somebody on the Sabbath, uh, than the fact that actually it was a miracle, and if Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, that means he is someone, um, someone very special and important. Later on, Jesus meets uh, this man and, you know, he says, you know, that there are people who are spiritually blind and in particular, he is pointing at the Pharisees. Okay, so I'll just go to the end of uh, chapter 9 where Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can't see, your guilt remains. And so these people, the Pharisees, are the holders of the truth in their day. They're also the dispensers of truth to other people. Then Jesus goes on to talk about the sheep and the shepherd. And he starts by saying this. Very truly, I'll just read it from here so that I can keep clicking on. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, the thing about this story is Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And that's really important because in any audience that Jesus speaks to, you have different groups of people. You have the religious leaders, primarily the Pharisees, and they believe that they are the keepers of the law. They dress in a certain way. They dispense um, sort of dictates to everyone, you have to live this way, you have to do this, you have to do that. that. And so they started out really, I suppose, as good people because what they wanted was the renewal, the revival, the restoration of Israel. And they thought that just if we could just keep the law, if we could obey the law, get everything done really well, then, then everything would be all right. But what they ended up being is these people who found that actually really difficult themselves. And in fact, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs at one stage. He says, look, you look all right on the outside. You're wearing the right clothes. And you know, they would have done things like tied little bits of the law to their wrist or even strapped it to their forehead. And they would have walked around um, would have been very into kind of ceremonial washing and cleansing. They wouldn't have touched or had anything to do with unclean people. But what they would have ended up doing is, is telling everybody, you're not good enough and you're all unclean, and we're the clean ones because we're trying to follow God's law. Uh, and so Jesus was constantly in conflict with these people because he felt that, that they were putting pressure and shame and condemnation on other people. But in any audience that Jesus was speaking to, you had a group of Pharisees, you had just general people like yourselves, and you had maybe groups of really unclean people. You know, you had your kind of your tax collectors and your prostitutes and, and the stereotypical people that everybody in society would have went, yeah, you know, they're kind of unclean. And if you could imagine this room, the Pharisees might have been over here. Hi, Stephen. Um, you know, the kind of normal people might have been here, and then the, the unclean people might have been here. Sorry, it's just an example, okay? I'm not saying anything about anybody on this side of the room. And, and actually, the Pharisees probably would have stayed as far away as possible and not wanted to be near or touch an unclean person because they didn't want to be unclean. But Jesus says to these Pharisees, do you know what? You think that you are the shepherds of the flock. You think that you're the gatekeeper who decides who comes in and out, 
and you think that you are actually the gate. Or you think that the law is the gate. But Jesus says to them, do you know what? I'm the good shepherd, but I'm also the gate, and I'm also the gatekeeper. I'm all three of these things that you think are done by the law, by tradition. But, you know, it all comes through me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything comes through me instead of everything coming through the law. And he uses this metaphor of shepherds and sheep, and it would have been really familiar with, for people in the, in the day because around them and throughout their history as Jewish people, shepherding was one of the main things that they did. And actually, it was always kind of viewed as a bit of a kind of rubbish job to do, looking after sheep and, and being quite nomadic, but it suited the, 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 the Jews. You know, right back from Abraham would have been a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd boy. And we see this right throughout the very first time that the angels appear in the sky and declare that Jesus has come. It's the shepherds. Um, so does anybody remember one man and his dog? Right? And see, this is what we think of when we think about shepherds and sheep. is that we think about what we know, which is one man and his dog. So this was standard back in the day on TV. If you don't know what this is, Right, it actually ran on TV because I checked until 2012. Yep, but back in the day when we only had three or four channels and there were very few programs, you had to watch One Man and His Dog because <laughs> there was nothing else on. It was better than, than nothing or other programs. And so you might be thinking, you know, I quite liked One Man and His Dog. I challenge you to go back or find it on YouTube and watch it again because I reckon you'll probably not like it just as much. And all it was was and this guy here is just stereotypical, isn't he? Uh, okay, the, the, the flat cap, the tweed jacket. And, and then they would shout it, come by, or something like that. <laughs> Whistled, shouted. The dog would have just, dogs have been running everywhere and corralling these sheep. And the whole idea was you had to get these sheep and you had to get them into the sheep pen. And I don't know, you won some kind of prize, which is probably another flat cap or another tweed jacket. Because you never have too many of them. And so, eight million people, eight million people at the height of its career watch one man and his dog. And so we think about the kind of shepherding thing as being this. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, you know, let's not have this idea that Jesus is corralling us and trying to move us and trying to get us to go in the right direction and <coughs> shouting at us to do that. Now, just for the sake of useless information, what they do now is that they use drones. <laughs> but they've built in speakers into the drones that make barking sounds. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and they, they chase sheep around using drones because it's mo a lot more effective and efficient. You can travel over greater distances and um, you don't have to feed dog food to drones. So you need to charge them, plug them in. But it's the same principle. Let's chase these things around, get them to go in the direction that we want, force them over this way. But when the people heard the story that Jesus told, they would have thought about something really different. Because if we were in Israel right now, even, and there were two shepherd boys, and they both had a flock of sheep, and they saw each other at a distance, and they came over and they had a chat, and they stood chatting for... 
a long time together. And during that time, their sheep are kind of just all over the place and they're all mixed in. They wouldn't have got worried about it or they wouldn't have gone around with spray paint because that's another thing we seem to do with sheep in this country, just spray them <laughs> with different colors. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Yours are the red ones, mine are the blue ones. They wouldn't have done anything like that. These two shepherd boys in Israel would have had a conversation together and then they would have said, all right, mate, I'll see you later. I'm going this way. Uh, off they would have went. One would have walked in one direction, one would have walked in the other direction, and they both would have went, right, come on, guys, or, or some kind of more fancy sheep language like that. But they would have spoken to the sheep, and the sheep would have heard their voice, and they, would have, they wouldn't have gone, oh, where do we go, where do we go? Or, you know, they wouldn't have been chased by a dog. They would have followed the shepherd in the direction that he was going. Each would have separated out. And that's the kind of picture or the understanding that people in those days would have had about shepherding. So actually what happens is the shepherd walks ahead of the sheep on the journey and the sheep follow him. They hear his voice. If they don't recognize his voice, they're not going to follow him. And so the shepherd is one. And so when we read this passage, the sheep know their master. They hear his voice and they follow him. It made perfect sense to the people of that day. And so, if we look, start looking at this passage in a little bit more detail, we, we see that Jesus says, there are also thieves. There are thieves and robbers. And these people come to steal and to destroy. We even read that at the start in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs some other way is a thief and a robber. And we read that thieves and robbers come. The hired people abandon the sheep. But the shepherd loves the sheep. He lays down his life for them. And what we need to realize is that in this world, in our day, there are lots of people who want to lead us in different directions. They want to take us their way. They want to deceive us in, in lots of ways too. In that, that particular day, Jesus was actually talking to the Pharisees. And he was saying, you're the ones that are deceiving. You're robbing people of life because you're making them follow all these rules that they can't obey. You're taking them in a different direction. And then, like a hired hand, when things go wrong, you wash your hands and go, I've got actually, these sheep are nothing really to do with me anyway. And so we find ourselves in troubling times. There are lots of different voices out there, and we need to be able to distinguish between the voice of God and all the other voices in our society. We can feel like lost sheep, stressed and anxious and worried about where we're going. Because we live in a society that doesn't know where it is going. It doesn't know what voice it should listen to. In fact, what it does very often is it listens to the noisiest voice or the most consistent voice. But we find ourselves too listening to the noisiest voices and the most consistent voices in our society and in our culture. And so what has happened, if you like to use a kind of more like a boating metaphor, um, we're, like, we're like a boat that, that was once anchored really strongly to something, but that anchor has been cut and we set off on the seas, and we've got no rudder, and we've got no sail. And every wind of teaching, every political position, every economic up, 
uh, turn and downturn, every distraction, everything that comes up on social media, we find ourselves being pulled to and fro by whatever's going on in life and society, whatever our friends think, whatever we're told we need, the latest and greatest of, whatever those things are, whatever the priorities are in our culture, we find ourselves pulled in that direction. It's no wonder that mental health issues are so prevalent within our society because we find ourselves like a boat in a storm being tossed all over the place. Um, the Bible actually talks about this uh, a couple of times, but one of those times is in Ephesians. I don't have it on the screen, but it's Ephesians 4, uh, verse 14. And it says, talking about how, how the church can grow to maturity through the work of God's people, it says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. And so we have an alternative. We're called to live in an alternative way. As much as Jesus was telling that message 2,000 years ago, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying it to us now, is that the, the option that we have is to follow him or just to be pulled around by whatever direction, society or the economy or our friends and social group, whatever wherever that happens to be. And so we need to be able to hear the voice. The sheep listen to his voice. So how do we hear God's voice? One of the greatest barriers that we have to hearing God's voice is, is just noise. If I was doing this sermon 10, 10 years ago, I would have said, do you know the way we all walk into the house and we put the TV on? because the house is quiet. Um, I used to work with a girl, and um, that was one of her things. She'd be like, every time I come into the house, if there's nobody else there, I go on and put the TV on, I put the radio on, because I need that noise and that buzz around me. And we're afraid of silence. But we don't have to do that anymore, because we carry um, a device around, and we get constantly bombarded with information. And so how do we hear God's voice if we're constantly hearing other voices? And it's not that some of those voices aren't, aren't good. But we're just constantly bombarded, we're, you know, most of the time on social media by absolute drivel, okay? It's not just your posts, but other people's too. Um, <laughs> only joking. Um, but news and sport and information, and it's just constant. All these different voices, all of this information, some of it which may be useful, but if the sheep listen to his voice and therefore know what way to go, how can we hear his voice over the noise and over the busyness of everything else that's in the world? And there are so many other voices, and some of them are really loud, and some of us find ourselves responding to those voices again and again. And I'll just, I'll just make one point about uh, the abortion issue today, because I've talked in different ways about it, in other times. But we find that the voices that 
that our kids and our teenagers and that maybe some of us are listening to constantly again and again, the noise, the noise, the noise. And what it is, is it's devaluing the life of the unborn child consistently over time. And what we see from history is that when you take any group of people, any section of our society, and you devalue them, sooner or later, terrible things will be done to that section. When you give them a different name, when you say that they're less than human, eventually people will take that group, that section of society, and will destroy them. And we saw that in the 1930s, and we see it in different places around the world more recently. And we call those things genocide. But it starts, it starts with the voice. It starts with information. It starts with taking something which is precious and wonderful and true and good and making it less than that. That's what happens. And so we need to decide what voice it is that we want to listen to. And it's not just on that one issue, although that issue is really, really important. But whatever it is, when it comes to how we treat other people, when it comes to how we value people in society, when it comes to how we get our needs met, how we understand our place in the world, what voice are we listening to? We need to listen to his voice. And so, yes, you know, in some ways we could, I could say, we know we need to read our Bible more. But I'm always going to say that. You know, I'm always going to say we need to write, read our Bible more because Jesus said, actually, and at the start of John, it, say, it says, um, John's writing and he says, you know, Jesus is the word made flesh. So all the law, everything that we understand from the way God says things are, if you want to see what that actually looks like, if you want to see that fleshed out, if you want to see that lived out in a person, it's Jesus. And so when we look at Jesus, we think, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he approach this? And how would we deal with that? And what did he say about that situation? And Jesus becomes our person that we go to to help us figure things out. So we have the word made flesh by Jesus. And we have the word itself. And we start to understand. As we renew our minds in that truth, here's what I found over the years. The more I renew my mind in God's truth, the easier I find it to make the right decisions, even if I can't find a particular verse to back that up. Because I know. Because if you like my knower, which doesn't exist, but just go with me, you know, you're nowhere, which is what you know deep, deep down within you. I know this is right and true. I know this is the right thing to do. I know this is the, the right way to go. Our knower is renewed in God's truth so that we always, well, not always because we're sinful, but we will more um, regularly make the right decisions and go in the right way because we know what's true and good and right. But the other thing is that when we choose the wrong way, we also know that. Our knower tells us that's the wrong way too. And so we can renew our minds in God's truth. And we have um, what the people in, in those days didn't have, which was the actual presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives, speaking truth to us from within us as well. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We've been transformed and we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So we need to hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name. 
So Jesus calls his sheep by name. He speaks their name. They hear his voice and he speaks their name. And that, again, becomes one of our centering points in life, is that we understand the reason why Jesus knows our name. It's because we are his children, because we are made in his likeness. It's not like um, a school teacher who always knows the names of the really badly behaved kids and takes probably half the year to figure out the names of all the other ones. It's not like that. Jesus knows our name because he knows us, because we're his dearly loved children. And I would say to you that in the society and the culture that we live in, to know who you are, why you're here, what direction your life is going in, those are the things that really matter. That is what enables us to journey all the ups and downs. But that's what people that don't know Jesus are missing. They don't have anybody who knows their name. They don't have anybody who truly knows who they are, knows a person that no one else can see. And they will spend, Blaise Pascal described the emptiness and the space in our lives that can only be filled by God. He said, you know, it's like this God-shaped box and you try to put everything in it to fill, to fill, to fill, to feel satisfied, valued, worth, identity. We try to fill it with all these other things and it was designed by God to be filled by him and him alone. And so when we realize that God knows our name, what that means is that we can live with purpose because he calls us and he leads us. So the sheep, he leads them out and he goes ahead of them. And if we listen to his voice and if we follow him, we will find that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, he has already gone ahead of us. And I think that's wonderful, fantastic news. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're facing right now, Jesus has already gone ahead of you. He's already been where you think you're going. If your life's heading in a, in a difficult direction, if you think you've got a different, difficult journey ahead, Jesus has already been there. He's already walked that road. He's walking it ahead of you. And so you might be facing uncertainty, but he's already seen what lies ahead. And you know, so a lot of the time we want Jesus to operate a helicopter. We would love that so that when life is going really difficult, we could call him, he'd come down with the helicopter, rescue us out of the situation and drop us somewhere really nice. But life doesn't go like that. But what he does say is the journey that you're walking, I have already gone ahead of you. I am the good shepherd. I go ahead of you. I call you by name. My sheep hear my voice. I will be with you, is his message to us. And I think that that brings with it such an amazing hope that God has already been where we are going. This is uh, slightly later on that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He holds the truth. He is the life. He is the shepherd. He is the gate. He is the gatekeeper. 
it's in him and through him that we find everything. And so as a church, we want to journey what it looks like to live a life of true discipleship, modeling ourselves after Jesus, following him, learning to hear his voice, better learning to walk in his ways, better learning to walk the, the steps that he walks. That's what intentional discipleship looks like. That's what we're called to do. And I believe that in, in this day and age, and as we think about uh, all our children as they grow up, the only way that they're going to be able to navigate safely through life is to understand that Jesus is the good shepherd, that the good shepherd cares for and looks after his sheep, that his sheep hear his voice, that actually there are other voices out there, the thief, the hired hand, these people will come and go, they'll have their own agendas, They'll do what they can, but they'll not be the same as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd will never leave or forsake. We're going to uh, take communion in a minute. And the band are going to come up, and we're going to just tune in again to Jesus, to centre ourselves on him. You see, the Good Shepherd actually lays down his life for the sheep. That's how much he cares about them. He will protect them right to the end. Never leave them or forsake them. And Jesus came into this earth and he lived a life that demonstrated that. It looked like God with skin on. He modeled out the love that the Father has. And in fact, he continually said that um, everything I do, everything I do is to show you the Father. And he made a way through the cross. And so the, the band are going to come up and we're going to worship again and we'll center ourselves again on him and ask him again to be the good shepherd. Not just in a general way, but what I want to ask you this morning is where in your life is he not the good shepherd? Where in your life do you not follow him? Because we like the general sense, but when it comes down to the specific sense, where are we following fear, for example? Where are we following anxiety? Where are we not following because of disappointment? Where are we not following because of distraction? Or because we find other voices more attractive or interesting? Or where we find, particularly at this time, that other voices are more popular? It kind of goes better or easier for us if we listen to other voices, if we're seen to do certain things and be certain places or not disagree with things. Where have we compromised when it comes to following Jesus? And so we, we come before him knowing that he's always a good shepherd and we can always come back to him, that we can always continue to, to hear his voice and to follow him. There's grace and mercy and compassion for us. There's forgiveness for us. Um, and, and there's, there's strength for us. You know, the good shepherd looks after. He cares for the sheep. They aren't just his, his livestock, his property. They're precious to him. So why don't we stand and we'll worship together.